I'm Marlene Chisholm, and you're listening to Leadership Biz Cafe. Hi, everyone. This is Tanvir Nasir, and on today's episode of Leadership Biz Cafe, I'll be talking with Marlene Chisholm. Marlene is a speaker and communications consultant who has helped a number of high-level professionals to increase their personal performance by shifting their focus to a more purpose-led life. Marlene is also the author of the book, Stop Workplace Drama, Train Your Team to Have No Complaints, No Excuses, and No Regrets, where she shares her insights on how readers can increase their clarity and with it, improve their productivity and personal effectiveness. So hi, Marlene. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. When it comes to the topic of workplace drama, there's certainly a lot of variance for what one would consider examples of conflict in the workplace, as opposed to viewing it as simply the way business is done. So to help our listeners frame the context of our conversation, why don't we start with how you define workplace drama? What does it mean and look like? I love that question because the word drama brings up a lot of drama. In fact, I hear people say, oh, drama, you ought to see my boss. Or I I hear, oh, well, we've got a drama queen in the office, or we've got a queen bee, or we work with a bunch of women, so naturally there's drama. So that word conjures up a lot of different meaning for people. And so for the sake of, of my book, I created a new definition and a new language. And the definition that I created for drama is any obstacle to your peace or your prosperity. And there's a visual that goes with that, where if you were to look at, like let's say we were in a classroom, we're looking at a a flip chart, and at the bottom left, there's a little guy in a rowboat, or this can be your team in a rowboat, and at the upper right-hand corner, there's an island. We're always trying to get somewhere from point A to point B. We're trying to get to the island, and then in the middle, there's a shark. The shark is your obstacle. That thing that makes you afraid, the thing that you that makes you not want to move forward. So any obstacle, and then the distinction is to your peace or your prosperity. That's certainly a good visual of how to understand drama, and I agree with you that there is a tendency to tag a variety of behaviors and interactions as drama. And this brings to mind something you wrote very early in your book about making this important distinction about workplace drama, where there's the drama that arises from a given situation, And then there's your own reaction to that situation, which introduces its own component to that overall conflict. Yes, absolutely. I call it the drama versus your drama. And as I've delved a little bit further into this, as all authors do once they write a book, I'm really starting to promote the idea that I'm not even here. The work I do is not here really to even change your reaction. It's to change your experience because once you change your experience, your reaction naturally follows so that you're not always having to use willpower, but that you have the tools to actually see things differently, assess things differently and know how to take drama away at the root. Absolutely. I think a lot of times when we encounter conflict in the workplace, there is that tendency to focus on those things we can't control instead of on what's within our power and influence to adjust and correct in order to help make our organization uh, a better place to work at. Absolutely. And, you know, in the book, I talk about that, you know, I help leaders in this way because once you understand the definition, and and it takes a while to really grasp that sometimes, but once you understand the definition, any obstacle to peace or prosperity, then I teach them the three components 
so that once you identify the three components always present, it gives you a place to start so you can analyze it instead of just jumping in and putting a Band-Aid on something. Speaking of those three elements that are found in most cases of workplace drama, one of them you describe as being a lack of clarity or what you refer to as being in the fog. Now, it's easy to tell when you're driving through a fog patch because of that obvious drop in visibility around you. But what telltale signs can we take note of to know when we're in that proverbial fog? And how do we go about regaining that sense of clarity about what's really going on around us? You know, that that's a great question because a lot of times people don't really even know. They're not clear. You don't even know what you don't know. But if there's an internal conflict of some sort, then you, I will guarantee there's a lack of clarity. Now, the lack of clarity can show up in different ways. It could, it could be just your processes and your procedures that, you know, your employees are not, maybe things have changed and your processes have changed and there's conflict and it really is not a training problem. It's a process problem. But a lot of times I find that the, the lack of clarity is internal and that's where I begin is always at the cellular level, which is with the individual. So we'll say for the leader, the lack of clarity may be, and this is the example I give in workshops, let's say that You've made a distinct commitment that, you know, this year it's going to be all about better communication. And in that decision, you've decided you're going to have regular meetings for updates, maybe just a 30-minute meeting where you talk about what's working, what's not working, what's in the sales pipeline, and so on. But let's say you've got a star performer named Sally, and she does not want meetings. She thinks it's a waste of time. So that even though you've decided as a leader that this is going to improve communication, your star performer now starts pouting, throwing a fit, saying it's hurting her sales time. So now you feel a conflict, and so you avoid the meetings, or you don't have a meeting, or you or you have a real short meeting. But in other words, you have a division now. You have a conflict and a lack of clarity as to your real commitment. What I call that is the integrity gap. We want two things at the same time, and those two things do not align. So the way that I draw that on the little flip chart, it's like a 90-degree angle. You think that you want to go to the island called teamwork, but you're really taking a left-hand turn to the island called making sure Sally's happy. So that's just an example of a lack of clarity. Hmm. That's a good example because it really highlights how easily we can get off course by trying to address some short-term issue or problem. Uh, it also ties into the point you make in one chapter of your book where you write about how leaders can reduce workplace drama by identifying the gap between what they have as a goal for their organization and where their team actually is. So could you explain why the process of identifying this gap is important to stopping workplace drama? Yes, yes. Um, I, I just had an example of this yesterday with a client. I was doing some consulting. This was a business owner. And he seemed very non-committal on the things that we had written up and the plan that we had in place about how to move the company forward. And I believe the challenge of each leader is that they have to identify, you know, where we are based on where we are to where we want to be. That's the gap there. It's, it's, you know, can be, I call it the Island. It's the language I use. The Island is five miles away. It's 500 miles away. It's 5,000 miles away. A lot of times leaders are very good at setting a vision, but then the overwhelm comes about either with them or with their team because they really only see this bigger picture and then they get stuck on the rock called how. And what that means is they haven't identified the resources, the tools, and they're trying to reach way too far too fast. So one of the concepts or principles in this, in this um, chapter two, which is identify the gap, 
is the challenge of leadership is to, to shorten the gap. In other words, create enough dynamic tension to where people are challenged to use their skills and talents to get there. But it's not so far away that it's overwhelming and you feel like brushing it under the carpet because it's just too hard to do. So I think that where we get stuck the most, whether it's individually or, or organizationally, I think it is in that place where the gap resides. We have a difficult time not only identifying it, but shortening it so that we can have small successes that propel us to go forward. This issue of addressing this gap touches on something we see in business today, where using your analogy of the island as our goal, uh, we're just so driven to reach it because there's that notion that once we land on this island, all the problems we're struggling with will somehow be resolved. And I think this is why we're seeing so many iconic companies now treading water because they landed on those islands and instead of using that achievement to drive their organization towards their next goal, they're content simply to rest on their laurels of these past accomplishments. And, you know, that's so true. And I believe we're living in some illusions. And this is where, you know, my third chapter is about telling yourself the truth. And I see myself as a truth teller. And I, and I really strive to say my truth in an empowering and positive way. But we are all living in an illusion. There, there's the illusion that, and you brought this out, I call it salvation on the island. In other words, once we get there, it's all going to be fine. But as I point out when I'm doing these presentations, and if, if, it, if there's employees in the group, they always laugh because I'll say, have you ever been told something like, the moment we get this new software program installed and we're trained, everything's going to be wonderful. I said, is that the biggest lie? Because you already know that by the time it's installed and you're trained on it, there's a new program. It's, it's outdated in three months. So the reality is we never truly get there. And, and I also say that life is actually lived in the gap. We do get to the island occasionally, but we don't stay there. Now, I had a COO ask me this question, and I just cracked up because he said he was kind of scratching his head. And he said, if, we, if life is lived in the gap and we never really get to the island, what's the point in even trying to get to the island after all? <laughs> and I said, well, because you will land for a while and you'll drink the coconut juice and you'll lay in the hammock, translated, you'll celebrate and you'll say we got there, which keeps your motivation up because you had a success. So if you never get there or, or uh, once you get there, it's going to be everything is fine. Those are the illusions. That's, that's not the truth at all. The CEO's comment reflects another key contributor you identify as being a source of workplace conflict. And that is resistance, which grows out of our unwillingness to accept responsibility for what we can do to address the situation we're taking issue with. I particularly like the statement you make in your book that responsibility is the recognition of choice. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure all of us have stories we can share of working in a team or for a boss where we felt an injustice was being made upon us, like others not carrying an equal load to ours. And this naturally makes it easier for us to gain sympathy from others because they've been in our shoes. So how do we overcome this internal resistance that often leads to drama in the workplace? You know, this is one of my favorite pieces, and I, I've just developed a whole new program around, around this that's, you know, distinct and, and unto its own. And there was so much in this that I couldn't even write it all in the book. But I want to respond to what you, what you asked because... This, um, when people start to understand that resistance will keep you stuck, in fact, that's one of the, that's one of the red flags of resistance. So responsibility is the recognition of choice. I want to address that first. The, the, 
theme that comes up for me is this, the story of the Wizard of Oz and Dorothy having the ruby red slippers, and that was her power, but she didn't know that she had the power. So she had it all along, but until she recognized that she had it, she couldn't get back to Kansas. That's the same thing for all of us, is that we have this power, and this power is choice. We may not always like our choices, but when you're stuck or when you're into blame or resentment, the facts may be exactly true. And as you say, they may be 100%, which they usually never are because we all make up stories and we create meaning. But you can blame, you can blame, you can resent, you can justify, but it doesn't change anything. And so what I call the fulcrum point of change is that act of willingness. And in willingness, it's a willingness to see, to identify your choices. So one of the questions that, like I help leaders whenever they are dealing with someone else's resistance, which that's what most leaders are interested in. And by the way, usually what they need to be interested in is their own resistance. But let's take it from the point of I've got someone negative. I've got someone that I'm leading and they're resistant. They're negative. They're complaining. So negativity is another sign of resistance. The first question is, what do you want or what do I want? That's the first question, because until I can say what island I want to get to, I can complain about this isn't right because it's, you know, I've got more seniority or this isn't fair or I'm not going to put up with this or I'm being treated wrong. Until you can actually say, here's what I want, until you can articulate that, you can't even see the choice. So the first question is, what do I want? The second question is, what are my choices? So if, if we're talking about ourselves, it's what do I want? What are my choices? If we're asking someone else as a coach or a leader to try to move someone out of resistance, the question is, first of all, you want to make someone feel heard. You know, I hear you. It sounds like you're upset and it's because of X, Y, and Z. Is that correct? Yes, that's exactly right. The next question is once they feel heard, because you cannot coach someone until they feel heard. Once they feel heard, the next question is, well, what is it that you want? Now, what you're going to get as a leader is you're going to get resistance. You're going to hear something like, well, I'll tell you what's not fair. And you're going to take a breath and you're going to say, I understand that you don't perceive that as being fair. My question is, what do you want? Well, I've got seniority and I've worked here for 20 years and I, I understand that and I respect your knowledge. The question is, what is it that you really want? Well, I'm not going to put up with. And at that point you say, I understand. I want you to answer this question. Now, if they cannot answer it, your job as a leader is to say, I want you to go back and let's meet again today at two o'clock. And I want you to really articulate what you want, because I think I can help you get there. But you have to be willing to say what you want, not what you don't want. Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And it certainly reflects a lot of the stuff that I've read in a number of psychology studies that show how we do have that tendency to focus on avoidance rather than opportunistic thinking. Well, we do. And, and, you know, I've interviewed a lot of scientists and neuroscientists, and I love to learn from them because what I have found and what I've learned from them is that the brain is wired for negativity. My friend Rick Hansen that wrote Buddha's Brain, he says um, that it's like Velcro for the negative and Teflon for the positive. So whatever's <laughs> positive slides off, whatever's negative, just we stick to it. And that is so true. If you even think about getting an evaluation, you're speaking in front of 100 people. One person said, well, she sure loves to talk about herself. And the other one says, it's the best presentation I've ever heard. You freak out over she or you know, he likes to talk about himself. <laughs> we're, just, we're just wired for negativity. This kind of sums up an important point you make at the end of your book. That drama in and of itself isn't really the problem. Rather, it's the amount of time we stay in the drama and with it the amount of resources and energy wasted that we could have used elsewhere. That, that's right, because 
you know, people think that they can be perfect. That again, that's that idea of salvation's on the island. Once I read this book, once I take this course, once I meditate every day, I'll be calmer, nicer, more pleasant. I'll be perfect. You won't. You're a human being, and if you're going to grow, and if you're committed to growth, you will have drama. You will have mistakes. But once you recognize it, and you have some tools for working through it. It becomes so exciting because you become skilled at it. And so when I'm, you know, when I'm speaking or training, I tell people, please don't. I mean, I try to live to my standards. I totally do. And anyone that knows me knows that. But I know I mess up and used to. I would beat myself up and I would say, I've been doing this 10 years or I've been doing this 12 years. Why would I have been rude to that person or why would I have interrupted or been short? Well, because it's a new area for growth. It's an area to apologize. It's an area to recognize that I need rest before I talk to certain people. So it's not about blaming the people who pull our strings or our situation. It's about getting our own needs met and getting back to a state of coherence quickly. That's an excellent point. And I agree with you that if we focus more on what we can do and on the choices we have in these situations of workplace drama, it leads to a greater facilitation of our abilities to do something about it so that we can learn, grow, and adapt from it. It's a process, and it's ongoing. And what I've found in the work that I do, that as I'm more authentic with the people that I work with, whether it's, you know, my, I don't have employees, but I have contractors, or whether it's my clients or friends and neighbors, if, when I mess up, because they know that I want to live this, there's a vulnerability in being willing to say, I'm, I'm doing this body of work and I'm really committed to it. And in that commitment, I will get stuck on the rock. I will have a distraction and go to the left-hand island called, look how right I am. I will make mistakes like that occasionally, but I'm so committed to realigning and I make that commitment. And so when people see you doing your work, it gives them the power and the courage to be human, to be authentic and to do their work as well. Well, that's a great point. Marlene, I want to thank you for sharing your knowledge and insights on the issue of workplace drama. This is something that many leaders and organizations have to deal with at one time or another, and I'm sure the advice you share today will be of much benefit to our listeners the next time they find themselves mired in such situations, or even how to get out of being in the thick of it right now. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed being your guest. I've been talking with Marlene Chisholm about her book, Stop Workplace Drama, Train Your Team to Have No Complaints, No Excuses, and No Regrets. To learn more about Marlene's work on addressing drama in the workplace, visit the webpage for this episode at TanvirNasir.com. And that concludes this episode of Leadership Biz Cafe. I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and as always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what we discussed in this episode, as well as what other topics you'd like to hear in future episodes of the show. You can do this by leaving a comment on this episode's webpage or by filling out the contact form at TanvirNasir.com. Until next time, this is Tanvir Nasir. Thanks, everyone, for listening.